Good morning, Arizona homeowners. Welcome to Rosie on the House. Why don't y'all come on around back here and let's see what we can do. We're actually, we're going way outside of the yard today. We're going out into the field. In 2018, our format, our lineup for the Outdoor Living Hour, will start with the first Saturday of the month. We're going to talk about what's currently in harvest in Arizona. Julie Murphy from the Arizona Farm Bureau will be joining us and bringing a special guest from around the state. <clears throat> Agriculture has now been upgraded from 17 to a $23 billion industry in Arizona. We are $23 billion strong and growing, and we're providing... And growing, get it? And growing. <laughs> and uh, providing an array of fruits and vegetables on the plant side of it and a lot of agriculture animal agriculture so all sorts of good stuff y'all have a, a nice wheel you've put together it's split up like a pie right this dollar amount for lettuce this dollar amount for beef this dollar amount dairy this dollar amount cotton it's 16 uh, of our top ag commodities and beef and uh, dairy are always on the top tier and but if you combine all our fruits and vegetables and citrus, they're right up there too, especially. But we do it; we break it out like that, just so that people can see the diversity of our Arizona agriculture. People are amazed when they see it. And in harvest today for January, we're covering. We are covering citrus. Perfect. <clears throat> not, not something you think cold weather in most other parts of the world. <laughs> exactly. D during the winter season, this isn't. This isn't common, but in Arizona, citrus, one of Arizona's five C's from uh, back in statehood day when it was one of the top five industries. Correct. And the Justice Brothers, uh, Dwayne Justice, will be talking to today. He's got a great history about the citrus that their family's been growing since the 1920s. And so it'll be fun to hear from him. But we actually, with our lemons, we're right behind California in terms of not so much their level of production, but really providing it not only in in state, but also we export a lot of our lemons to, for example, Japan. So we still have a pretty thriving citrus industry, especially in the Yuma area. And then, of course, the Justice Brothers can talk about all their local things they're doing and their organic citrus and all sorts of fun stuff. Well, before we get to y'all's orchard, back up. When, when does citrus first come into Arizona? I mean, we've got agriculture dating back 4,000 years on the Santa Cruz River, but when does citrus make its way into the desert climate? What do you think, Duane? Well, they were growing citrus here in the, in the early 1900s. Uh, I don't know if they had any in the, in the late 18s or not, but citrus was being produced here uh, in the early 1900s and has been produced continually since then. Uh, a lot of Phoenix at one time was full of groves. Uh, some of the earliest citrus that we planted was uh, was uh, produced by a guy named Wasser. Had a big citrus nursery, and we bought a lot of trees from him that we planted uh, back in the early 30s and on up. I didn't personally plant them <laughs> then. But, but your grandfather did? Yeah, my grandfather and my dad and my uncle. And, uh, so we have <clears throat> continually been in that business. Uh, ever since then. We've also grown other things too, but the citrus that we're talking about today has been in our family for, um, you know, 80 years or so. And that's, when we look at the statehood and when y'all started 
in Citrus in Arizona. I mean, you y'all were pretty close to that same timeline. Yes, it was. The it, it was obviously it was uh, before statehood that Citrus had gotten taken a hold here because in the early days of of uh, totting the the agricultural production in Arizona, Citrus was was one of the mainstays of of our agronomic productions here. And so it has continued to be that. Unfortunately, um, from my point of view, the houses have replaced a lot of the citrus. I, I get that question I, uh, uh, quite frequently. It was, oh, it's just really a shame that, you know, that the, that grove's gone or this grove's gone. And I always ask people, how long you been here? Oh, two years or three years. Where do you live? And I'll say, oh, yeah, that was the Garcia Ranch or that was the... <laughs> Compton Farm, or that was Percy's place. So, you know, people hate to see the production of agriculture leave the valley, but they want to live here. And and reality is, you can't you can't grow productive agriculture and just in backyards. So uh, that's why there's not as much as there was. But but we don't have any intention to go anywhere, and we like what we're doing, and so we'll continue to do it. And I like to tell. Everybody, when I talk about the Justice Brothers, Dwayne, and then his son Selwyn, that they're covering two of the five C's because they also have cattle. So citrus cattle, and actually, you maybe could claim climate because without our good Arizona climate, you wouldn't have the cattle or the citrus. Right. So. <laughs> well, in reality, uh, for many years, many years we also grew cotton. So we were oh. we covered three of the C's for probably oh, 30, 40 years, maybe fifty. Now that's justice. He's taking <laughs> care of the five C's of Arizona. We we'll do the best we can. Um, we don't have any copper mines, though. Now, what types of citrus? I did a little research. There's over fifty. You know, when you when you look at the scientific names and you got the families and you know all, all the different classifications, citrus breaks down into fifty-one different uh, varieties, and then from there, there's countless number of grafted you know you've got how many varieties of oranges how many varieties of grapefruit how many varieties of lemon i mean it's it's a pretty endless <laughs> list uh, at our you pick out uh on uh, on perryville and and uh, greenway we have 95 different varieties um, that was originally established as the university of arizona experimental station to see what different types of varieties uh, will produce well in this particular area and a lot of the things is I think most people realize all citrus is grafted you you pick a root stock and you you match it with the fruit stock and then you see how it does and some varieties do better with different kinds of fruit stocks way back the the rough lemon and the sour orange um, was the standard now since then Oh, there's many, many citroens, a real common one nowadays, both in Arizona and California. Um, and there are there are new varieties that keep coming in. So, yes, yeah, citrus is very old, and it, it's there's a there's a lot of different varieties. And then there are sub varieties from those varieties, uh, like the navel was developed from the Arizona sweet, and the Arizona sweet's primarily a juice. The navel's primarily a, an eating orange, uh, although the juice is very good too. But all those differences uh, have developed over the years, and uh, the influence from uh, Spain, a lot of a lot of production in Spain, a lot of production has come out of uh, Asia, the uh, the tangelos and those kinds of, of fruits. Uh, there's a lot of uh, 
lot of Asian influence in. When I, when I went there last week to pick, and I love grapefruit, so that's my uh, citrus of choice in the morning during the winter. And just in the grapefruits alone at the U-Pick at the Justice Brothers Ranch are 30 varieties of grapefruit. So at one point you say, I'm a bit overwhelmed, but then you just start picking and all's fun. And $40 <laughs> later, because <laughs> that's how much grapefruit I picked, I took it home and I've been eating it every day. Now, how long? Well, we'll get we'll get to that in a minute. Backing up to the varieties and the grafting, you had mentioned a name. Uh, I believe it started with a W that you guys used to get a lot of the the Wasser Citrus Nursery. Wasser. <clears throat> Where are the graftings coming from now? Uh, there's there was quite a bit in in Yuma, but most of it comes out of California. Uh, that sort of thing, and, and there's we talked uh, earlier. With the uh, HLB disease problem, uh, that had that shut down a lot of nurseries. Um, Florida is 100% infected with that disease, and so uh, in Arizona we had some indication of some contamination in some trees. And so if there's a if there was a nursery in that area, then they they could no longer uh, ship. So that was very difficult time so it's got to be they've got to be produced in an area that that doesn't have the commonly called greening disease so most most of that comes out of california now and how long can you expect a citrus tree that doesn't end up with you know a disease or you know gets backed over by the backhoe while you're doing a a new water line to get to the crops you've been in my place (laughs) that's happened Actually, I was just looking at a tree the other day that that happened to, and uh, it looked like it was shot, but the the employee of mine that did it tried to salvage it and set it back up, and three years later, it's doing quite well. So, but, um, well, we have a, I probably have a couple, two or three of the old white grapefruit, uh, Marsh's white grapefruit, which uh, is one of the early commercial varieties, uh, they had uh, several large seeds in them, and later, same gentleman went and created the the marsh uh, uh, red grapefruit, which is the common red grapefruit we have today. Although some people call it pink, it's not truly the pink. The pink was akin to the white, had the seeds and all. But I have a, I think there's one or two trees left there that are probably somewhere in the 70 to 75 years old, and the grapefruit tree. Uh, tends to live the longest. They're they're a hardier. The lemons tend to go away earlier. And then it's it's odd. I have a strip in one of the groves where there's two rows completely and most of a third row, all came out of the same nursery, all planted about the same time. Those rows died off years ago. Um, they were probably only maybe 30 years old. And the rest of the grove is still productive and doing fine. So something in that process, that particular block that we got, didn't go well. But they'll, the citrus trees will live along that. Now, my son will tell you that there's a, there's a tree in California, I believe it's 126 years old, a, a uh, citrus tree. And we'll bring him on the line. He's at the uh, American, American Farm Bureau annual uh, meeting in Nashville, in Tennessee. Nashville. And we've got them on the line. We'll bring them into the, seg- into the conversation right after this segment, along with Bill and Buckeye wants to talk about a lemon tree he's having troubles with in an open line for you at one 888 
767-4348. That's one triple eight rosie for you. You can also text questions to 411923 or if you want to send a picture wanting to help uh, help identifying what type of citrus or maybe it's a bug on your citrus trees, you can email that to info at rosieonthehouse.com. <laughs> On a beautiful Arizona Saturday morning, joined with Arizona Farm Bureau spokesperson, PR agent, uh, (laughs) voice of the agricultural in Arizona, Julie Murphy. Your family's been farming in Arizona. We came out just before statehood, and my parents farmed for about 45 years, and prior to them, of course, it was my dad's family. So we've been here for quite some time, and uh, we've covered it all, and I think we can say we've tried just about everything we even did pistachio trees, all sorts of things. But, you know, the winter months are the— Well, and now before you get to the next one, your mom, if I remember correctly, was on the cover of Arizona Highways magazine yes. in the 70s for Thank her you. horsemanship. Yes, well, she was part of the quadrille team, the Quadrille de Mujeres, which was a women's drill team. And they had been around—they've actually just sunsetted the group, but they've been around for about 40 years and uh, Arizona Highways. I actually got to write the story, wanted to do a profile, and I said, hey— I know that gig. I know that group. And we just got lucky, and Mother ended up one of the writers on the cover of the Arizona Highways, and that was actually in 78. It was, it was magical. And we're talking today citrus, but there's a lot more being harvested right now in Arizona in addition to citrus. It is. In fact, it's uh, like I was about to say, it's one of my favorite periods, the winter season, because there's such diversity. We obviously have been talking about citrus, but all of your leafy greens, your fr- uh, you've got your, your romaine that they're growing in Yuma and even in Maricopa County. You've got uh, your broccoli and cauliflower. The Rousseaus right now are growing carrots and they're known for their carrots you can pick up a bag of carrots in the store and you know they come from Russo Farms so there's a lot growing right now and it's what's representative of that 23 billion that we're talking about and the Farm Bureau how does somebody help support what y'all do because we don't eat without the Farm Bureau right any one of us can be a member I'm a member of the Arizona Farm Bureau and I have been a member for years my parents were members for 45 years if you're not a farmer we allow you to have what they call an associate membership for 59 bucks and a year for the for the year and our Arizona farmers because you know they have a little bit more skin in the game I guess you could say uh, here in Maricopa County and I actually have an ag membership that's 180 bucks I don't I'm not in ag production anymore but because our family came out of it and it's a big part of our lives still we're able to have the ag membership but any one of us can and when you do that you support the whole effort of our advocacy efforts within the Arizona Farm Bureau and farmers like the Justice Brothers so that they can keep doing what they're doing you know of course they're the ones that are putting the all the finances and stuff to their farm but they get they're able to advocate and make sure that we're protecting agriculture in the state through our advocacy efforts at the state legislature and even on the national level. So that $59 that you commit to it annually for Arizona Farm Bureau is a huge benefit to all of us. And you get a monthly newsletter that Julie writes and puts out and there's always details about, you know, when the last one I remember coming out talked about all the different, uh, you know, uh, like farm, festivals yes, and uh, uh, pumpkin harvests and fun stuff like that. So we there, and then we also have a huge array of benefits that a lot of times people say, "Well, that's not what I why I joined. I just 
discovered that's an extra benefit to it. But I joined because I want to take care of our Arizona farmers and ranchers, which is way cool to hear that from individuals that might not have ever had any connection to agriculture whatsoever, like that uh, neighbor that Duane was talking about. You know, they've been here for two or three years, and they're surprised to discover that there is agriculture in Arizona, and it's huge. It's huge. $23 billion huge. AZFB.org to join up and become an associate member. As we were going to the break, Dwayne mentioned uh, a tree, and we've got his son on the line calling in from Nashville from the uh, American Farm Bureau Conference. Selwyn, welcome. Thank you for taking time out and joining us remotely. Do we have uh, Selwyn on the line? We may have to uh, give him one more chance. Are you there? Uh, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? There he is. Okay. Tell us yeah, about the. Be here. Tell us about the tree at UC Davis. Your dad was talking about the age of citrus, and you had statistics on one that uh, that they're well, growing. Yeah, actually, so there's two. There were two trees that we were kind of talking about. Uh, one at uh, UC Riverside, which is the oldest parent Washington naval. It's actually 146 years old, and then the oldest citrus tree in the U.S. is actually. A Mediterranean sweet orange that was planted in 1856, and it was two years old when it was planted. It's 164 years uh, years old this year, and that's up in Oroville. And we were talking earlier about all citrus are grafted. Were these grafted? Were they grafting then, or did they propagate these out of a seed? Uh, no. So this was a the uh, Mediterranean sweet that was planted up in Oroville uh, was grafted. It was the when it was planted up there, it was just a novelty. Uh, it had been brought up from Mexico. Uh, and then the parent Washington Naval is also uh, grafted, and it actually uh, went on to, to provide cuttings for uh, all the navels. It's a, it's a really amazing tree. And, and the, one in, the one at Riverside actually has its own little park there with a really beautiful uh, plaque. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. And at a tree that age, I mean, is it still producing anything, or is it just there – for yeah it still produces fruit it's a good looking tree <laughs> very cool and you said it has a park so people could visit this if they were over at riverside yeah yeah it's got a little park there with a little parking area next to it you can go in and, and visit with the tree well we appreciate your time when we get back from bottom of the hour news we're going to bring bill into the conversation he's calling in from buckeye with a question we have an open line for you at one triple eight Seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight. Rosie for you. Or if you have your Rosie on the house home maintenance calendar and you have citrus to care for, get it out and get it ready with a pen. We'll mark down the critical dates that you need to know to care for your citrus. Now, I know the Justice family's been working and growing citrus for four generations did i have that right or is this is selwyn fifth now no he uh, he's the fourth he's the fourth he's working on the fifth generation well he's got her out there <laughs> i got to meet her on thursday <laughs> um and and I understand she gets a dollar a day at the U Picket, so we'll cover that in a little bit. But in a big commercial application, it's a little different than a homeowner one at a time application. But we're going to test Selwyn right now and bring uh, him online with Bill and Buckeye and see if we can't help diagnose his lemon tree problem. Bill, welcome to the program, and tell us about your lemon tree. Good morning. Uh, we've got a, a lemon tree. The thing is loaded down. 
but uh, the lemons are all sour. They're uh, bitter. Uh, I don't know anything about lemons, but my wife eats lemons like I would eat an apple. And when she spits it out, it's really bad. Uh, That's one thing I have done, and I've heard you talk before about the root ball. uh, Obviously, I don't know anything about trees. Uh, I built a well around the tree, and so it's got about six inches of dirt covering that root ball. Is that a possible problem? Well, Bill, uh, if your tree was planted properly, uh, that uh, you want to, you just kind of want to let that water run around the base of the tree. As long as it wasn't buried too deep, you don't have to worry about the bark of the trunk getting damaged. So, uh, if you added extra dirt around the tree to protect it, you don't need to do that. You just need to make sure that your well extends far enough out. Um, and one piece of general advice I always give people is you want to make sure that that basin around the bottom of the tree goes at least as far out as the canopy. And uh, and if you're gonna and if you want to go all the way, you want to go another foot out past that. That'll make sure that all your roots are getting watered properly. And uh, and then you want to make sure that you're watering uh, deeply. Um, I try to tell people that you know in the summertime, if you've got an adult tree. You want to make sure that you're watering about every 10 to 14 days in the summertime, you know, July. And then in the wintertime, you back a lot of that water off. You're down to about 11. Uh, uh, you want to, I'm sorry, you, you go back down to about uh, every 21 days or so, 21 days to maybe even a month. Um, and the easy way to tell, you know, in terms of watering, the easy way to tell is make sure that, that you got your about 36 inches. You want that water to go down when you're watering it, like I said, nice and deep. Um, what I had, uh, my uh, wall is about uh, six inches high, and uh, it is well past the drip line of the tree. And uh, I might have been watering too much because during the summer I was, uh, I run uh, water lines over there on a timer and run the water open for about an hour uh, a day. Okay. Yeah. So what I would recommend with the watering is you want to go ahead and let that water run for about eight, maybe even 10 hours at a time. And then to make sure you're getting good penetration with the water. And, and then, like I said, you want to back that off. One of the problems with watering, and I know an hour doesn't seem like a shallow watering period, but, but it, it is. One of the problems that you have with that is twofold. One, you increase, you're likely to increase the salt content in the soil there and cause salt stress to the tree. Uh, and then the other thing is, if you don't let that top six inches of soil dry out between waterings, it increases the likelihood that you're going to have some kind of soil-borne pathogen that's going to cause problems with that tree. So you want to water it longer per session, but like I said, space those sessions out. And in the wintertime, the other thing about the wintertime is you don't you don't want to be hurting your water bill uh, uh, with all that water that the, that the tree doesn't need. Uh, so you can save, you know, conserve your water in the wintertime by backing that off by about like I said, every three to four weeks in the winter months, and uh, and then in the summertime, you want to increase that frequency up to about ten to fourteen days, and uh, and but you want to get a nice, good, deep water on that tree uh, that whole time. I like I like that you run your hose out there. Some people run them with bubblers and that kind of thing. It's a little bit harder to make sure they get enough water with those, 
although that is the more conservative way to, to irrigate. Uh, but that good flood, that good flood water for, like I said, about eight to 10 hours. And you want to make sure you get about 36 inches of penetration. Uh, what, what, one easy way to test that is just get you a, a, a nice long piece of rebar and taper the end of it. And, uh, and you can just kind of use that to test it uh, every once. So you don't need to do that all the time. But when you're trying to figure out if you're getting enough water on there, uh, you might want to try that once or twice and make sure that it's working out for you. And then let that top six inches dry out between between uh, cycles to make sure you're not you're not stressing the salts and uh, and you're not uh, increasing the likelihood of getting your tree sick. And yeah, that <laughs> irrigation, that proper irrigation, solves a lot of problems uh, with trees right off the bat. So we're going to go into our fertilizing now that we've covered water. But before we do that, one thing I haven't mentioned, and there's so many things to mention. Uh, we're going to have to have you all back or continue this uh, in, a, in a special podcast. But y'all are a certified organic grower. Uh, Mr. Dwayne, tell us what that means to be a certified organic grower. Well, in order to be certified organic, you have to have had no application of any uh, pesticides, herbicides, commercial fertilizers for three consecutive years before you can qualify as organic. And then you have to select a firm that is a uh, organic certifier there and, and they come in and inspect your uh, operation and they you have a series of forms you fill out about your operation what you're doing and how you're running it and if you meet the criteria of of the certifying agency and the USDA organic standards uh, then you can, you'll be issued with a few you know It'll cost you a few dollars, <laughs> and then you, you'll be uh, you'll get your certificate of certification, which we do have. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, some of the people that I that I sell to that that resell, I will provide them with a copy of that sort of thing. So that's that's how you get organic certification. And there's uh, of course a lot of there's a lot of organic growers now. Uh, Russo does some organic, and Duncan does organics on large-scale vegetables and that sort of thing. Um, But, yeah, we are certified organic, and then uh, that allows that product, uh, the the stuff that we pack, we pack down in Rio Rico uh, with uh, Patagonia Orchards. They are a certified organic packing house, and they, again, they are inspected. And they have to be certified by a, uh, by an officially licensed certification agency that that product uh, and the way they handle their system uh, is or is organic. And then they they ship. And so our our primary our grapefruit go out of that facility into stores around the state. When uh, Dwayne brings up a good point that a lot of our farmers today are doing both organic and conventional farming. The area of their farm that's organic, though, just has to be designated for that. And there's specific things, obviously, that you kind of deferred to or inferred that you go toward. And that is if one of our growers is going to designate about 500 acres, he's got to follow with those certification requirements. Yeah, and that includes when you get into the – when you're doing both sides of the, of the coin um, – you have to ensure that any equipment that you use in the organic portion is either used solely in that port part of your operation, or if you use it in your commercial operation, it has to be cleaned thoroughly before you come go back into. And most of the 
the uh, outfits that uh, are doing that, they'll have uh, enough acreage in organic that they'll have equipment that you that is used strictly in the organic, the organic. part and, of their operation. And one thing too is, as long as it's sanctioned organic, you can still use organic. Uh, sanctioned fertilizers and pesticides, but they just have to be approved and clarified under the organic standards. Yeah, and all that simply means is that that product is all purely organic. Uh, yes, there are. I mean, you can you can get uh, organic uh, manure spread on. I mean, there's a. Is there uh, non-organic manure? Yes, there <laughs> is. Yes, there is. <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah, there is. If if the input into the beast is not organic, then the output is not organic. Okay. So, uh, like Hickman's has organic uh, chicken manure available you can buy and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's become quite a and, – and actually, even in uh, regular commercial, not even organic in the veggie industry today, the, uh, the requirements for sanitary conditions is just incredible. So there, there's a tremendous amount of work that, that farmers are doing in, uh, in, the, in the vegetable world to, to ensure that that product that, that – gets to the store is is clean and free of any pathogens you're growing more on smaller acres safer and healthier than in the history any recorded history absolutely true the american agriculture produces the the uh, cleanest um, most nutritious food in the world and they they do it uh, provide it to the people of the u.s at the lowest cost of any nation in the world. The American people, uh, their actual food, and I say this, <clears throat> people say, well, I came out of the grocery store and I, I had $150 in this, in this basket. And then you have to say, but how much did you spend on the food? Because you've got uh, paper towels and toilet paper and you've got a couple of knickknacks and you've got some candy and you've got all this non-organic things that are now sold in the grocery store, non-food products that are sold in the grocery stores. But I don't know, what's the, what's the percent, Julie? 10 to 12 percent of our disposable income goes to groceries here in America. Contrast that if you were a household in Indonesia, another developing country, it can be as much as 40 to 50 to 60 percent of your disposable income. And so we are so blessed in America. And I give all the credit to our farmers and ranchers here in America and people like Dwayne Justice that are doing it with such the latest technology efficiencies, the latest continued improved knowledge of how to do this. And we're reaping the benefits of it. You and I, every time we go into a grocery store or walk to our farmer's market in our neighborhood, Dwayne Justice and farmers and ranchers like him are the ones that are the reason we're benefiting so well from our produce and our food here in America. And why we bring you all in the first Saturday of every month to connect the local Arizona listening audience to where they can find these uh, organic, locally grown, fresh produce. If you're going to the store and you're going to be buying groceries anyway, take that extra effort to make sure you're looking and getting something that comes locally. Right. And I, the other thing I stress, I like, I celebrate both organic and conventional. They're both healthy. They're both no, nutrition. You cannot distinct the nutritional difference. But the, the, the most important thing to remember about a, organic and conventional farming is they're basically methods of farming. Both have markets. Both uh, produce abundance. And both uh, really make it, give us as American consumers a greater opportunity for choosing 
between the two. Now, when we come back, we're going to get our critical fertilizing dates. Then we'll bring someone back in to talk about what you referenced earlier. Where do you go spend $40 on grapefruit and load up for a couple months? Right. If you received your Rosie on the House, Arizona home maintenance calendar, we had reports from Whitman, Surprise, and Paradise Valleys that the calendars hit the mailboxes yesterday. I've talked to one individual at Tucson that has not, it did not make it there yesterday, so hopefully today. This is our first ever home maintenance calendar designed to help you, the Arizona homeowner, maintain your house, home, castle, cabin, landscape, gardens, to... uh, the best of your ability for the highest quality of life. And we've got Selwyn Justice on the line calling in from Nashville, taking time out from the American Farm Bureau Conference to talk us through, okay, now how to fertilize. I've got my calendar here. I've got it out. What are our critical fertilizing dates for citrus? (laughs) Now, what you're used to in your big row crops is a little different than what we're doing on the consumer end. So maybe we'll back up and say, okay, let's start with what's critical. What do all citrus need? Well, uh, the big thing uh, in Arizona is, you know, uh, getting enough nitrogen out there uh, in your soil. Uh, phosphorus is another uh, another thing that uh, citrus likes a lot. That helps with flowering and fruit production, but we usually do okay with that. And every Everybody's backyard is going to be a little bit different, uh, and so it's worth getting a soil test, which are fairly inexpensive. You know, you can just kind of test and see where you're where your your yard is at and kind of make adjustments from there. But in general, uh, you know, the big one I like to hit is, is nitrogen. Um, and you want to make sure, uh, and this is, it doesn't matter if you're commercial or, or residential, uh, you want to make sure that you are kind of distributing your fertilizer over the course of the year. You don't want to, you don't want to cause any problems uh, with, uh, especially in a commercial, you don't want to have any, uh, uh, you don't want to be damaging your soil by putting in a lot nitrogen all at once but that that holds true for our homes too uh so uh, one thing i like to tell people is uh if you're going to use ammonium sulfate or urea which are both fairly common um you you want to uh you want to you're kind of going by the pound um and those are different things because they have different concentrations urea is about 45 percent i think it's actually 43 percent uh nitrogen and ammonium sulfate's a little less than that. So if you're going to be using a, an ammonium sulfate, you want to use about six to seven pounds a year. And if you're going to use urea, you're looking closer to about two and a half to three pounds. And that's for a, a mature tree. Um, and uh, and you'll want to apply that in, uh, you want to do your first application uh, January, late January, early February. And one and of the, your second. Go yeah, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, finish. Oh yeah, and then uh, and then March through April, you want to use your second, and then August and September, somewhere in those months, uh, you want to do uh, your your final application for the year. And uh, and it, you know, if we're dealing, there's a little bit of uh, of difference there depending on what it is that you're growing. Grapefruit and pomelo, once they get established, you you only have to use about half as much. Uh, they tend to they tend to do better with with less. And then if you're planting lemon or lime trees, uh, you want to you want to plant a, a little bit more than that, about 10% more uh, 
than what than what you what, than those numbers that I gave you. Um, and and then, uh, but for the most part, that six to seven pounds of ammonium sulfate and two and a half to three pounds of urea is good. And again, that's for the whole year. That's not per application. So you want to take that number, like with the urea, if you're doing three pounds per tree, you want to do one pound late January, early February, one late March, early April, and one late August, early September. And that's for a mature tree. You can look at the labeling, and it'll give you a better idea of doses to use based on height and age and diameter of the trunk. Each product labels it and gives directions slightly different, but it's all based on diameter of the trunk, height of the tree, years for it, and the critical dates. Yeah, and the, and the width of the canopy uh, is a factor as well. Um, you know, So like in commercial, especially with, with this is an even a bigger impact in, in irrigation, obviously, but like commercial trees are planted about 24, 20 to 24 feet apart from one another, so our canopies are, are about that same uh, diameter, and so that, that has a little bit of an impact on there. But there's some really great resources out there. I always recommend that people uh, that have questions about this contact the uh, Cooperative Extension Master Growers. Uh, their office is on 43rd Street and Broadway. Uh, they work through the University of Arizona, uh, Arizona uh, Extension Program. They're, they're a really cool resource. And as a matter of fact, uh, not this coming Saturday, but the next, on the 13th of January from 8.30 to noon, they'll be doing a citrus clinic at our UPIC. Uh, and it's $10 to join. They have a citrus guide that they put together there that's about 5 bucks, I think, and they'll have a bunch of industry experts out there talking all day, doing workshops on fertilizer, irrigation, care and maintenance of your citrus trees, uh, and it's going to be a really great event. Unfortunately, I will be traveling back to Arizona. I won't get a chance to make it, um, but, uh, but they're always a really great event, and there are some of the best people out there. Uh, James Truman, who... Uh, owned our UPIC before we took it over, uh, and will be one of the people out there. Um, Glenn Wright, who uh, is with the U of A Citrus uh, program, he's a really great resource. He'll be on hand as well. So I'd recommend anybody that can make it to the West Valley uh, go out there. And for our East Valley friends on the, I believe it's the 20th, um, there will be one at Greenfield Nursery. It's the same time, 830 to noon uh, over there, and it'll be the same people giving you the same information over there. And those events will be posted in our events section at Rosie on the House. Real quick, the dates to help us remember those fertilizing, Valentine's Day, so obviously February 14th, if you have your calendar, you can mark it there. Memorial Day this year, May 28th, so that three-day weekend. Labor Day, September 3rd, and we'll talk a little bit more about those. But we have 30 seconds to wrap up with Julie from the Arizona Farm Bureau. We appreciate your time, azfb.org, and if people are looking for recipes, they can visit. Fillyourplate.org, which is our consumer-facing website. Mr. Justice, thank you for uh, coming down this morning. It was my pleasure to be here, and uh, it was uh, always good to talk about agriculture. And the address for that U-Pick is uh, Perryville Road and... Uh, Greenway Road. Just take 303 to Greenway and go west. You'll find it.